0: (laughs) Okay, we can start.
1: So, the question was in relation to the rise in diagnosis of depression, uh, and then corresponding with the use of antidepressant drugs.
2: That's That's definitely one facet. yeah. Yeah.
1: I'm generally skeptical of the idea that... There's a certain line of argument that antidepressants are just placebos. And then uh, because of the monetary um, incentives to sell them, we've just been diagnosing it a lot more. Um, I don't think that's necessarily the case, partially because uh, the suicide rate has also gone up with the rise in depression. So that seems like they're pretty well correlated.
0: But people would also say the suicide rate has gone up with the rise in antidepressants.
1: It went down originally though, Uh, when Prozac first came out in the 80s. There was a brief decrease, let me try to find the studies, Um, and it dipped in about the early 90s and then uh, started heading up again.
2: So you would say that it seems more correlated to perhaps other events?
1: Yeah, I think it's much more social. Um, and then antidepressants appear to be a semi-effective uh, solution, but obviously not one that really gets to the root of the problem. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So would
2: you and think? Oh, yeah. And Sorry, go ahead. We you think that... So I know that that's definitely in, uh, a really... It's uh, talking about the root of the problem. It's obvious that, like, people get depression for different reasons. But um, it does seem like depression is a singular thing. Like, it's a condition that you have mentally. And then to say, like, okay, we have a chemical solution for this. Obviously, that isn't going to address the reasons that you develop depression, but yeah I guess the is it effective to just give you a, I think of it like a, a band-aid right like mm-hmm. it doesn't have your body solve anything it's just trying to minimize the symptoms
3: yeah I very strongly disagree with the general approach that we've been having towards treating depression with antidepressants I think there is definitely evidence for people with moderate to severe depression that antidepressants are fairly effective in reducing their symptoms. But I think that in the past decade or so, we've really started to use antidepressants as a crutch. Um, when it comes down to it, nobody really understands how the antidepressants help to treat depression. Um, they're definitely not a cure-all. I don't think that there are very many psychologists or psychiatrists that you can find that would actually claim that they are. And that's why you still have people um, you know, involved in cognitive behavioral therapy and other treatments for depression. Um, And I I think that the main issue is, you know, more and more people are becoming depressed and people don't have the time to like stick it out and sit through therapy. Like, you know, I've gone to therapy for random stuff before, it sucks. Like, it's not fun to sit there for like hours and hours (laughs) and talk to somebody about your problems. Um, Being given like a pill with the claim that, oh, this will cure your depression. That's obviously a way easier, simpler thing to do that everyone wants to go towards. And then of course, there's also the financial incentives towards doing that. So like if people are getting paid more uh, to prescribe these drugs to people that's definitely another factor towards it so i i don't know i disagree i'm very skeptical mm-hmm. of antidepressants there is some evidence that they can help so i don't want to say you know like they're totally horrible they're bad things but i definitely think that people view them in a, they view them as being much more positive and helpful than they actually are
2: yeah i strongly just dis- uh, i strongly agree with that disposition mm-hmm. and it seems like Obviously, there are going to be cases um, that antidepressants are helpful. Mm-hmm. But the real question is, like, as a general solution, is it helpful? And with so many uh, pointers saying, like, these are malincentives that are going to make people take uh, take or prescribe antidepressants for the wrong reasons, yeah. it definitely seems like skepticism should be highly advised.
1: To be fair, though, um, there haven't been really any breakthroughs in antidepressants since the 80's uh, meaning that all these drugs are out of um, copyright protection at this point like Prozac's, I don't know what, five dollars or something Um, and it's largely been a field that uh, the pharmacological research has moved away from studying at all simply because you can't get any uh, new classes approved because um, we just don't really know which direction to go. Um, a lot of people are looking at what's called NMDA agonists, uh, which are related to ketamine, and those seem to show pro- some promise for depression. But the standard SSRIs are just available very cheaply.
0: Yeah, ketamine's exciting and it's in phase two now, but. Going back a little bit, last semester I d- I looked into antidepressants a lot, and then I looked into like a lot of the studies, and there was I think it's the one I just send a link in, but there was a huge like meta-study, I think it was a meta-study, but there was a really widely respected study done on basically all of the major mm-hmm. antidepressants, and I looked at the numbers, and it, it looked to me like most of the effect was a placebo effect, and the little mm-hmm. effect that there was was like, very small, and it could have been, like, due to, um, I, I forget what the effect is called, but the effect where you know you're taking uh, a drug, um, because it, it'll give you, like, side effects as opposed to taking the placebo drug. You
1: mean an active placebo? Yeah, so, um,
0: or breaking the blind, um, yeah, so the effect of the actual drug seemed extremely minimal to me. And, and I was prescribed them, but I didn't take them because of that. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think
3: Uh-oh. antidepressants also, I was prescribed them at one point too. I didn't take them because I thought, I was prescribed them for anxiety, and I thought, I didn't think that I actually had a need for them, and I was also very concerned about all of the side effects you got from them. Um, a lot of the times when people withdraw from antidepressants, they get these things called brain zaps, which are basically these like ele- very strong electrical jolt-like sensations that you get in your head, and again, nobody understands them, nobody understands, like, how to get rid of them, um, so yeah, it's, it's, like, interesting to me that people are just so readily take these things, and people aren't very aware of, like, all the side effects and how hard it is to eventually come off of these.
2: Wow, I have never heard of that, that's, that's really strange.
4: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: I yes. mean, those, that's like, SSRIs are also the baseline in terms of, what sort of side effects you're going to get, which to be fair is a big part of why they aren't that effective, they're a little bit effective, Um, but the stuff that really works comes with a lot more side effects because at that point you're talking about like MAOIs or stimulants um, and obviously lots of bad stuff associated with that. Yeah. So perhaps,
2: uh, so that feature of long-term SSRIs that we do have access to, like Prozac, so they are so cheaply available, do you think that that has had some sort of cultural impact in how we see these drugs? Because obviously, no one, like you, we said multiple times, no one really knows how they work, but people are so ready to take them. It seems like people like self-diagnose and take them themselves <laughs> yeah. so often. So what is it, do you think, that leads people to have this mindset? Because, like, Carolyn, you you were skeptical of taking it even yourself, but, and you're a student that knows about it, but someone who just doesn't know anything is even more ready to take it.
0: <laughs>
3: totally.
2: But, I mean,
0: to be precise, I mean, you can't just uh, self-diagnose and take it, right? You need to be prescribed
2: it yeah. by a doctor. Yeah. That's a good point.
3: I mean, I feel like there's probably, this is not really ba- this is based off of my observations, not rooted in science, but um, I get the sense that people are just kind of generally becoming more depressed, and because of that, you just tend to see more, you know, prescriptions written for antidepressants and things like that. Um, I mean, I guess that's a totally different topic, but um, mm-hmm. as to like why that's happening, so we don't have to go into that. But um, yeah, I think like the general increase in prescriptions is just because. I think, like, anxiety and depression have become more normalized lately. Like, it's it's still not something that you want to admit that you struggle with, but it's something that's more accepted now. You know, it's not... Maybe that's just because, like, we're at Reed and, like, a lot of people struggle <laughs> with mental illness. But um, definitely, yeah, I just... You know, it, it's not weird to hear from a friend, like, oh, yeah, I'm on antidepressants right now or something like that. So uh-huh. I don't know if that's made people more... Inclined like share how they're feeling and more open to actually taking these things.
1: I Mean yeah, I would I would agree um, That definitely I think there's been a lot of improvement in terms of the social uh, beliefs around it But of course what I'd go back to is the suicides rates also going up so clearly people are actually suffering and apparently more than they were in the past
2: yeah, that's a good question. Because it does seem like like there's the, the idea of the social stigma against uh, depression. And, like, I mean, I think most of us have grown up in the time that there really isn't that much of a social stigma. Like, if you say you're depressed, like, no, no one's going to be accusatory of you of that. And we think of, mm-hmm. like, old people as being the ones that think that mm-hmm. way.
4: <laughs> and
2: Probably. I don't really know a lot about the social changes that have happened in that way i just kind of like it's the way it is as far as i can tell but i'm curious what for example doctors and people thought of the social stigma against depression in the past and how that's changed
3: yeah i mean that's really interesting yeah think about i don't know the answer to
4: that but yeah
1: yeah that's a good question i mean i would just on a rough guess, associated with sort of broader changes of liberalizing society. But you could also see a relationship between, uh, as we were talking about earlier, that if you look at even in the 70s, when they, within psychiatry, there was sort of an understanding of, oh, you're allowed to use antidepressants a little bit as a support, but really it's all about the Freudian psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. And that's a certainly very time intensive and also associated with a, like high level of dysfunction socially so that once it's switched to just pills being given out like heart medicine pills uh, people become more willing to admit to it yeah mm-hmm.
3: yeah I guess maybe it's kind of that psychiatry and psychology and mental illness is just kind of I think there's less of a stigma like saying I'm going and seeing a therapist people don't really associate that with like oh I'm crazy I need to go get help for my problem they see it more (laughs) as I just need to learn how to manage my stress and that could be a very valid reason that you're going so I don't know something like that might be why attitudes like that might be why you see more acceptance of it
0: and also there's yeah just the sheer fact that so many people are yeah, under that system, under some kind of uh, mental health treatment. Because, like, formerly, I think most people that are uh, depressed now or diagnosed as being depressed now wouldn't be maybe 100 years ago or whatever. It would j- People would just be, I don't know, they, they'd be seen as being sad or something like that. So th- they mm-hmm. wouldn't be stigmatized. But the people that are d- uh, diagnosed back then would be, I think, very stigmatized. Because they'd mm. just be the very, the very, um, the most depressed people. Um, whereas now, like, more people are uh, diagnosed.
2: Well, it is an interesting question in relation to the suicide rate. Because, like, and I know that um, suicide kind of verges on what exactly are you talking about in terms of mental conditions? Because I think that there are... I'm not an expert at all, but I would say that there does seem to be a firm delineation between someone who is depressed due to circumstance, and someone who is depressed due to, like, maybe inherited uh, mental Mm -hmm. illnesses and things like that. So, if there's something about society that is making people more depressed today, then that wouldn't really be different from just the example of someone who, like, has schizophrenia or something and is depressed, because they would have the same condition whether they lived today or 100 years ago.
4: Yeah.
1: So I am suspicious of a very clear delineation between those two. Uh, Certainly, I mean, obviously psychology has really moved away from trying to make clear genetic and environment distinctions. Obviously, they really overlap. and there's plenty of evidence that even among people who are predisposed to schizophrenia, uh, things like abuse or even just being malnourished as a child uh, will later predispose you to actually develop schizophrenia. Yeah. So yeah, circa, like your experiences and are still very important within the context of pre-existing genetic tendencies.
3: Totally, and that's kind of the whole entire field of epigenetics too, I hope I pronounced that right. Um, just kind of like basically the study we're now understanding, and we were even just talking about this in my neuroscience class a couple of days ago, um, and that then vi- the experiences that you um, that you go through and your environment actually directly affect how like neurons rearrange themselves in your brain. So it's definitely wrong to say, um, at least in my view, it's totally wrong to say just you're genetically predisposed to something. It's definitely the environment too that acts on your brain and modifies your brain and everything. So it definitely works both ways. And I think people are now just finally starting to understand and realize that it's it's both ways. It's not just a single, you know, you have these genes. and this is going to make you more likely to be depressed, more likely to feel suicidal or something like
1: that. Uh-huh. And mm. I guess I'm not sure how far we want to go back in comparisons, <laughs> but the like, use of psychoactive substances to treat depression was massive 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, primary laudanum, which is an uh, opium alcohol mixture that <laughs> was relatively effective. <laughs> It also, obviously, led to a lot of addiction. Um, but like a lot of people did manage on that treatment. So what you're saying is that we just need to bring that back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like <a> psychoactive <laughs> drugs. Well, I mean, there are actually studies showing that buprenorphine, which is used for um, opioid withdrawal, is a very effective antidepressant It's obviously very small, low-powered studies. Mm -hmm. um, And it's specifically good at reducing suicide even further than depression symptoms.
3: That's interesting.
1: Huh. Yeah, I'd be interested in looking at that, because, I mean,
2: just listening to you say that, I would guess that most of the reason for that would just be that they're not addicted
1: anymore. (laughs) Uh, Well, this was when it was given to... um, The studies are people who are opioid naïve.
2: Oh, okay. So it's they just try different uses for it.
1: Exactly, yeah. Huh, interesting. I'm also...
3: Sorry, go
2: on. Oh, no, 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 no problem.
3: No, no, please go on. I was just going to say something totally random. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Uh, I was thinking, like, it is amazing, like, how little we know about these substances, and especially, like... We, I think that people, just when they're analyzing these drugs, like, you think of a drug as having one specific use, like, Prozac is used to treat depression or something like that, mm-hmm. but it obviously, I think that it's clear that the neurological activities of the drugs and how they affect you are so multifaceted that, like, they are definitely going to have side effects, but those side effects might even be, like, more important than the actual effect, in quotes, that they are designed for, or... Something I
1: thought. Ironically, the uh, first classes of antidepressants that, so originally it was treated with morphine and then amphetamines up through the 40s and 50s. And the actual switch to antidepressants came um, when they were discovering that people undergoing early antibiotic treatments would appear much happier than before. Mm-hmm. And the earliest classes, so like Nardil, um, which is a very early MAOI, um, came out of essentially modifying what were antihistamines or um, medications for infections. So certainly there's a very wide uh, connection between physical and mental activities. Hmm.
2: Were, were you going to say something, Carolyn?
3: Oh, it was. Um, yeah, but it's definitely it's kind of like removed at this point. I oh, guess, but so far. <laughs> but yeah.
2: Yeah, it is. It is interesting. Like thinking of. Um, what is, what is the position of someone who's, like, designing these drugs? Because if, if we really know so little about how they work, how would you ever go about, like, mixing chemicals to make the right thing? Yeah. And, <laughs> and I mean, I have no idea how they do it. But I think that a, a big part of that probably is the the experience of the people that end up using them. Right? Like Yeah. yeah. That was the
1: pathway for ketamine. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> You got to try this, it's great. <laughs> but I can think of that in relation to, for example, I think it's it's pretty recent, they're going back into it, but using uh, psychedelics like, um, yeah. for example, oh, I forget the name of it, psilocybin, yeah, to mm-hmm. treat people, for example, that are maybe in the late stages of cancer and they're depressed or something, and trying to make them be able to live the rest of their life happily or at least uh, with some consolence. and it seems like, like it has this big effect but it, it's like why would it do that it's not some really like it's changing the neurons in your brain just right to make you feel a certain way it seems like it's a more high level effect something to do with how you experience whatever happens to you under that drug
3: yeah I mean, and that's another interesting thing to think about Is kind of are we is it even possible to truly understand how these drugs work you know if you can't because we can't really understand you know for example even consciousness we don't understand like we understand okay neurons fire signals to each other that's how they communicate and somehow that generates thoughts but we have no actual idea you know what a thought (laughs) really is like how are we experiencing that thought how are we you know talking about that thought and like interpreting it so it's um, it's interesting to try to think like how can we really truly ever explain how antidepressants work you know how all these classes of drugs work
2: Uh huh. yeah th- any explanation would be meaningless if it was just down to the level of atoms and neurons exactly because no one would yeah. really understand what you would mean when you reference them
4: mm-hmm.
0: yeah I, I like the psilocybin studies a lot and I think with those you can work your way Towards a better explanation, but it, although it's a really high level explanation, because we do know that the like the experiences they have on the drugs um play some role in the antidepressant effect, so we can like look at the actual experiences and and look at maybe what helped like in this case, it, it looks like um some- ki- having some kind of spiritual or religious experience is a really good thing. <laughs> <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. I'm curious, though, uh, in terms of psychedelics, that there could also just be an effect of overwhelming your brain with something that's very foreign and really changes your consciousness. Because the obvious, very traditional, and very effective antidepressant is electroconvulsive therapy, um, which is still widely used. And essentially how it works is by inducing a seizure, um, which is considered to kind of reset your brain. Um, So I could also see how a psychedelic could be seen as resetting your brain Mm -hmm. in a similar way to electricity.
3: Yeah, kind of like training you to just think in a totally different way that you've never, well not training you, but you know, it just, yeah, it resets it. So now all of a sudden you've seen the world or your mind or whatever in a totally new way that you never would have before
1: um i guess it would be the idea of obviously like there's very complex things where receptors become sensitized yeah. and neurons develop to f- concentrate on certain pathways mm-hmm. and if you have a very small seizure all that kind of gets wiped away yeah and so if that setup is associated with lots of depressive thoughts then just returning your Brain to a baseline would produce okay. less depression. Yeah, I see what
0: you're saying. That's interesting. Y- yeah, and that's yeah, very much how scientists describe, um, like LSD and other psychedelics. Like it breaks down kind of barriers between different uh, pathways or whatever. And like, and then like it'll cause uh, synesthesia sometimes, where your visual and mm-hmm. auditory. Uh, Mechanisms get linked up. Yeah, yeah I, I think that's definitely a part of the mechanism.
2: That does make a lot of sense, relating to what I've heard about um, depressive brain patterns, as well as like, it seems the iconic way that your brain works in a depressive state is that you you fall into like a rut and you can't get out of it of thinking in a certain way and having a certain pattern. Like, if a certain thing happens, then automatically you blame it on yourself, or you blame it on something you have no control over, and then you, you have this, like, similar pattern of thinking no matter what happens. Okay. So, that would make a lot of sense if somehow, like, having a seizure or having a trip is going to shake up your normal patterns of thinking.
3: Yeah. One thing um, kind of related to that. This is um, this isn't supported by very much evidence. There's a there are a <laughs> few studies suggesting this. This is something I'm actually looking into researching this year um, here at Reed. But um, there's basically this theory by a couple. Yeah, I'm blanking on their names right now. But there's a theory that was posited by a couple of um, psychologists, which basically, in the most basics, like I'm dumbing it down a lot. But basically, what they were suggesting was that people, for lots of different reasons, people who are suffering from depression. So people who aren't depressed at all um, are actually kind of deluding themselves into thinking reality is better than it actually is. So they kind of have these self-deception mechanisms of, um, you know, so like if something bad happens to them, they're able to deflect it off and be like, and you know, maintain kind of like their feelings of self-worth and like feeling like everything's going to be okay and their optimism. And the issue is that people who are depressed are simply viewing the world realistically as it actually is. (laughs) Um, And yeah, so I just always thought that was really interesting. So yeah, I think it's interesting to like look into that as... I mean, because I think this is a... It's definitely like a very... It's a plausible explanation for depression, um, but yeah, it's just something that people have neglected for a really long time. And yeah, this definitely doesn't have a lot of research, so don't quote me on this, but I, I, I think people tend to not want to like explore different causes of depression and, and different ways that people fall into like certain thinking patterns. And I think it's interesting also just, I guess more generally, that people want to say oh, depression is necessarily bad. Of course it's bad. Like, you don't want people to be depressed, but people are going like, well, that must mean that there's something wrong with your brain, when I think in a lot of cases, it is appropriate to be depressed, like, in response to somebody you care about dying and you having extended feelings of grief or something like that. Um, I mean, that's what makes people human. So I think think it's interesting, kind of like the way that we want to describe people who are depressed and the way we talk about their thinking patterns, saying like, oh, it's maladaptive. Oh, you know... This isn't good. You know, you're being too negative. You're being too pessimistic when in reality, I think a lot of the time, you know, sometimes it makes obviously like it would be better. You don't want people to be depressed because it's not fun to deal with. Um, It can be really horrible and severe. But yeah, I just I think it's interesting that that's kind of the approach we have. And that's the way that society talks about it when we don't necessarily need to be talking about it that way, you know.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting, and I could totally see that being a plausible explanation. Yeah. And it it is kind of, it raises that interesting question, like, when is it appropriate to be depressed? And mm-hmm. it really is kind of a nonsensical question, because to be depressed in the sense of having a mental disorder means that, like, a mental disorder, as far as I know, is defined as disrupting your normal activities in mm-hmm. such a way that you're unable mm-hmm. to live a normal life so it would never be appropriate to be depressed <laughs> yeah under that sort of explanation Totally. but yeah. it reminds me of like so there's a tradition in judaism that if someone close in your family dies then you're supposed to stay inside of your house for a whole week and then and mourn their death and then mm-hmm. at the end of the week you can go out and you're like you feel like a sense of relief and that you've moved on once you leave your house supposedly (laughs) and Mm -hmm. if like you just look to a normal person and they like stay in their house for a whole week then you'd probably be like something's wrong with them
3: (laughs) yeah I think so much of it is cultural too um like and in some societies I guess it is it would be I can't think of anything in particular or any places in particular, but definitely, like, I'm sure that there are some, like, societies, some countries where it's definitely viewed as a lot more socially appropriate to express depression, whereas in some countries, like, the U.S., like, you know, you always, people want you to always be upbeat and perky and, like, we, it's just, I guess you see that, like, yeah, with, like, death, like, in the United States, like, people don't want to confront it at all, you know, it's very, like, like, shushed away, like, every time it happens, people don't, like, dwell on it. Whereas in yeah, other countries, like the example you just gave, uh, well, not other countries, but other like religions and things like that, yeah people like more readily accept these things. So, yeah, that context matters a lot.
2: Yeah, so it's something unique about modern society, it seems. That yeah. It seems unwilling to confront those hard mental issues. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. a, I would posit, just as a hypothesis, that it has something to do with our entrepreneurial mindset, because I think that it's pretty well established that the huge majority of businesses and startups fail. Mm-hmm. And then the question is, why? if you're a startup, why do you try at all if you know that the odds are like hugely against you? And the answer is that you're unrealistically optimistic. You have to be. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's the only way you'd ever try it. And then that's the only way that we have successful businesses. -hmm. So, it's something about that, like, you know, customer service, keep your smile on no matter what.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I think so. I think also the US, we just have such a tendency towards individualism uh, versus like a lot of other countries where they're all about collectivism. Is that what it's called? I think collectivism. Um, It's more community oriented, and that is something you don't see in a lot of Western countries like the US. And I think that makes it so much harder as well. You know, you don't have nearly as much support and things like that. Um, Yeah.
1: To bring yeah. in a related topic, then I just, because I've sort of been trying to use suicide as a proxy for depression, mm-hmm. just because I think it's it's very in your face and <laughs> easier to measure uh, and define. So the of course, the famous like first study of it um, is vapor with the idea of uh, um, altruistic, egoistic, and uh, anemonic suicides mm-hmm. um, so like he finds for instance that in England and specifically Germany like Protestant countries with more of a individualist focus the suicide rate is much higher mm-hmm. than in Catholic countries.
3: That's interesting. Yeah.
1: Um, and then so the argument is essentially that most suicides Fall under the egoistic category mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. where they're driven primarily by a sense of the self as having been isolated from a community.
3: Mm-hmm. That's interesting, yeah.
1: Although, then, of course, you'd have other things like uh, I guess there'd be the famous like the Indian widow commits mm-hmm. and that would be an altruistic suicide. Yeah. And I mean, in a lot of communities where you have a heavy emphasis on academic success and people commit suicide because of that, Mm you could partially see that as altruistic in terms of it's failing to live up to social norms, so then you kill yourself.
3: Definitely. I think one other important thing about suicide though, I, I totally agree with what you're saying, and I think it's an interesting way to like kind of view like depression and a way to like measure it and like different causes for it. But I think one important thing to remember about suicide is shoot, I forgot exactly what it was, but it's like it was some it was some incredibly high number. It was something like so don't quote me on this, but it was something like 70% of all suicides, the person has the idea and the intent and the thought to kill themselves. Um, within, like, 10 to 20 minutes of them actually acting upon it. So most suicides actually are not planned out at all, okay. um, which is interesting because that makes me feel, you know, I'm sure the person can have... So, yeah, in cases like John was saying, I'm sure a lot of a lot of people who are depressed, they are more likely to kill themselves. But um, I think in a lot of these cases as well, it's not necessarily just the depression. It's some kind of, like, impulsivity... And it's something where the person just has a moment of feeling like completely and entirely hopeless. And that's kind of what pushes them over the edge to do it. So while I totally, I agree like it is like suicide and depression definitely are correlated and they are useful ways to like look at each other. Um, I think it's a little bit dangerous to just solely be thinking of it as, Oh, the person's really depressed or like for some reason, Or, you know, some, like, mental illness reason, and that's why they committed suicide. Because you still see suicides with people who aren't depressed. Um, I actually volunteer as a crisis counselor, so I talk to, like, a lot of um, suicidal texters and people that have the intent and make plans to kill themselves. And a lot of the times, the people aren't depressed. That's not why they want to kill themselves. Most of the time, it's because they're hopeless over a specific situation. Like, their boyfriend broke up with them, or they're just feeling stressed out about school and, you know, you'll ask them about their past history and they say like, I've never had any mental illness or anything like that. So I think it's important to kind of like take that with a grain of salt and to not like be too, to not correlate the two too strongly, if that makes sense.
1: Well, we also don't know diagnosis. People might be saying, Oh, I've never had depression, but they could also, if you gave them like a depression inventory, yeah, a month before they might still yeah that's <laughs> true. up having it I mean
3: that's true yeah the people I talk to are definitely a specific group like they're definitely people who choose to text in and reach out for help and everything like that um, like the people who utilize that so that's already a biased sample and everything But, so yeah I agree with what you're saying um, it's like fair criticism but I don't know that's just something I've kind of experienced through volunteering so
2: uh-huh.
3: how much it's actually the truth <laughs> I'm not sure but yeah
2: yeah, that would be a really interesting statistic to find some research on, though. And, uh, this is kind of transcendental, but it, it would be a good point in the argument, for example, in gun control, where they say,
4: mm-hmm.
2: like, a huge majority of gun deaths are suicides. Yeah. And the question is, like, well, the, the argument is for not having gun control would be, if you're suicidal, then having a gun is just a convenience. You're going to find some way to do it anyway and Mm -hmm. that statistic though would be really important in that like if it is really so impulsive a lot of the time then not having access to a gun could be a a really big difference
3: definitely yeah and that's totally that's reflected in what we do as crisis counselors too uh like one of our protocols is somebody has the intent to kill themselves and they're in immediate danger of doing that you know we ask them to put away whatever they have put it in a different room throw it away go somewhere else so they're separated from that means temporarily Hmm. So that's definitely, yeah.
2: Interesting. Yeah. And
0: one thing I've heard is people are likely to uh, commit suicide when they're like just, when they have a burst of energy after being depressed. Yeah. So sometimes when yeah. they're getting yeah. a little better.
1: That's so the suicide so that um, rise in a couple weeks after you start the antidepressant because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you're so a little bit less depressed.
0: Yes, so it could even like impulsive suicides could be very connected to uh, being depressed Mm -hmm. Hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah, There's also like how I think the statistic I've seen is that most people who attempt uh, Also had ideation begin about two years before Mm -hmm. so Mm. It may take the impulse where they finally I guess, get yeah. the motivation. But they'd already been thinking about it for a long time.
3: Mm-hmm. I think it's also, it would be interesting to look at completed suicides versus attempted suicides. Because oh, I know yeah. that's yeah. Because there's definitely a difference in that. Um, I don't I don't know exactly. I don't want to, like, make, like... I don't want to, like, start theories on, like, why <laughs> somebody's more successful than others. But I think there is probably some, you know, like th- like thinking behind that where, um, the people who do complete suicide have been thinking more seriously about it or they're more intent to do it.
2: Yeah, the
0: statistics about... Huh? Um, uh, go ahead.
2: The statistics statistics about, like, completed suicides versus incompleted suicides, like, really surprised me at first when I saw them. Like, Mm -hmm. how many people, like, try suicide but just fail? Like, it's harder than you would think, Mm -hmm. (laughs) at least to my preconceptions yeah
0: but that's probably a fairly expansive uh under a fairly expansive definition of an attempted suicide
2: yeah that that is a good point point.
0: and we also know there's the gender difference a pretty yeah. good gender difference like women attempt more suicides at, but men uh commit more suicides
4: Mm-hmm.
0: yeah Who knows? Well,
1: yeah. What I've heard about that is that it's associated primarily with the methods chosen, uh, that men use guns or hanging or jumping, Mm -hmm. which are very successful methods, uh, whereas women use poisoning and cutting, which are pretty ineffective methods. Obviously, we don't know exactly why, then, people are choosing the methods they do. Mm
0: yeah
3: yeah it's kind of cause and effect like are they choo- are the men choosing those uh, methods and therefore they're completing more suicides or is it because they're more depressed and they're like I really need to make sure that I kill myself so they're choosing those so it's like you don't really know which one it is
1: no yeah. but women have higher rates of depression yeah yeah
3: I mean, that in itself is interesting, too, because can you, because I, I bet that a lot of that is clouded by the fact that women tend to be more open to sharing how they're feeling than men would be. And I, you can have like, as many like, diagnostic like, professional tests as you want, but I would bet you that men tend to lie more on that and say that they're doing better than they actually are in general.
0: And I, I've heard um, depression is correlated with neuroticism and women are more neurotic on average. And I I heard you can kind of explain the the different rates based on that. Mm-hmm. And okay. in men too, people that more neurotic men are more likely to be depressed. It, it's just like neuroticism is uh, like being predisposed to, uh, I guess, uh, seeing bad things. So yeah,
1: makes sense. Y- you're referring to the five personalities trait. Yeah, yeah, neuroticism. Yeah.
2: So you're saying like, controlled for neuroticism, men and women have the same uh, rates? do
0: uh, yeah, don't quote don't me on that, but... <laughs> <laughs> something like that,
2: though. Something like that. Okay.
3: I think personality tests, kind of like measures like that can also be... Those are also definitely something to be skeptical of just because um, what research has basically found now is that people, what's accepted now, is that people act differently in different situations. So I, I, I have, I'm not an expert. I have no idea how they're going about measuring neuroticism, but I would bet that a lot of um, the data that they collect, it, it doesn't reflect the person across all situations, if that makes sense. Like it's just reflecting them in one situation for whatever reason. Women tend to respond in a certain way to those questionnaires that makes it seem like they're more neurotic than men or have more, um, they tend to be more like that than men. Um, I don't know if that's true. I'm just saying that that seems like a plausible explanation as well
1: This is kind of off-topic <laughs> uh, But I would I don't I think we should avoid going there too much just because the whole like Situationist critique uh, that came out in the 80s is now under a lot of criticism. So we don't know exactly Wait, it what? Came out in The out Yeah, What? Um, what are you referring to? The, the the argument of, like, does character or situations affect behavior more is, I think, still very open-ended in psychology. So I don't think we should bring that into a discussion where we really don't have all the high-level information we would need to go into that.
3: Okay, that's interesting. I guess in my psychology classes so far, right, they've tended to tell us that it really does vary across situations but i don't know if there's like more recent stuff well,
0: i th- I think with the big five personality traits that we were talking about we can see that um the traits are meaningful because they correlate with like outcomes mm-hmm. uh, and yeah that's how we know they're they're valid
3: yeah okay that, yeah that's fair
1: So, uh, to get back on topic of it, <laughs> i I was wondering if you had any positions on non-depression mental illnesses. Hmm. Because those are definitely on the rise as well. <laughs> uh, some of them are, yes. Yeah.
2: Are there any good ex- specific ones that you had in mind?
1: Uh, I think the, the really like, philosophically interesting case is personality disorders. Hmm. Because that's very much. There's a weaker pharmacological link in terms of treating personality disorders. And they also blur the line between a medical diagnosis and just a part of your character. <laughs>
0: What's a personality disorder?
1: Uh so there are three clusters. It, I don't have the exact definition, but essentially it's a facet of personality that uh negatively impacts your functioning. Uh so the the major ones are the cluster B which are associated with uh aggression primarily. So that would be antisocial personality disorder, what people call psychopaths, Um, Hmm. cluster, um, uh, the famous borderline personality disorder, uh, Hmm. which is about having very highly unstable relationships and always feeling under threat. Then there's type A, which a lot of, Uh, like heavily connected with schizophrenia. So you have schizoid personality disorder, which is a lot of the negative symptoms of schizophrenia. And then you have schizotypal, which people think is essentially schizophrenia before it's actually manifested fully. Um, So these seem sort of in the in-between ground. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, especially like anti personality disorder.
1: Antisocial.
0: Antiso- yeah. Oh, yeah. Antisocial personality disorder.
4: Hmm.
2: So I know that um, there definitely is a lot of contention around because these all dis- all these disorders, the ones that you're mentioning and other personality disorders, are defined as such in the DSM, right?
1: Yes, that's right. Getting it.
2: And the DSM changes. <laughs> Uh, routinely, Mm -hmm. but has definitely changed a lot, (laughs) uh, especially recently. Yeah. So, I think definitely an interesting question uh, relating to personality disorders would be, like, uh, the problem with your personality is pretty much directly related to how it affects your everyday living. So, has society changed to make certain personalities not as good? Or, is it something else?
3: Yeah, I think that's an important point.
2: Because I know that there are so many good examples of, like, things that were considered personality disorders in the past that aren't anymore.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, homosexuality used to be <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> considered,
3: like, yeah. I guess that not, maybe not quite personality, a personality disorder, but very similar, and that just seems crazy now.
0: Mm-hmm. Gender dysphoria? Yeah.
3: Yeah. And it's interesting, because I think there's still... I don't know if they still call it gender dysphoria, but in the latest version of the DSM... I don't know what they call it anymore. It might be gender dysphoria. But, um, yeah, they still count it as a mental illness to some degree, to some extent. Not just, like, you know, not... Being transgender isn't, like, uh, considered a mental illness anymore, but there is still something, like, if there's, like, that mismatch between, like... If it's causing you, like, great great amounts of stress they still classify it i think
2: so it's Mm. something like if your transgender uh dispositions are negatively impacting you then that would be the gender dysphoria
3: i believe so yeah okay i would need to look this up though
2: (laughs) yeah yeah i'm sure there's lots of technical language around this stuff Mm -hmm. most definitely i guess uh what was that link that you shared before about gender dysphoria? Oh y-
0: yeah, it's really, oh, it's crazy. There's more news on that. Oh, basically, I, I sent this study I found. Um. And the study interviewed parents of, uh, these there there basically people found like that there were groups of teenagers that would, kind of, as a group, suddenly decide that they were that they needed to transition. I think it was around, mostly around teenage mm-hmm. girls. And uh, a researcher at Brown, like, did a... She interviewed a lot of these, uh, the parents of the children, and it, it became a peer-reviewed uh, journal article, and it got published. And then, yeah, just recently, she got she's under, like, a lot of fire, and Brown removed her study from their website. Really? And the journal uh, editorial board um issued like basically an apology saying they'll look into it after the backlash wow. but when i sent this to henry when i sent this to you i it i put it on the no, yeah none of that had been out yet oh wow um i i just recently found out about the recent developments so <laughs> oh that's an entirely different topic <laughs> but that's interesting yeah though. i didn't know about this phenomenon though but seems really interesting that um being I guess I should have known since I'm at Reed, but being um, transgender has, at least, it, it can be ac- encouraged by your peers.
3: Yeah, and I—I I mean, I, yeah, definitely with Reed in particular. I mean, I think there is a reason that so many, <laughs> I, whether or not that's because they're influenced, like that researcher was suggesting, by their peers to kind of adopt a, uh, you know, a different gender identity, or if it's because they feel more encouraged and more like they can actually come out. Um, yeah, I think yeah. For sh- there's something to be said about being surrounded by people who identify a certain way, you know, you know, like, and group, yeah, I don't know, like, I'm not, I'm not an expert in this, like, at all, absolutely not, but I, I think there is something to be said and something that should be looked into about how group dynamics and, like, group influence changes how people think, you know, and how people perform yeah. to stuff.
0: Yeah, and the <laughs> researcher wasn't uh, making any claims about why, like, that was happening whether it was just um the idea of transitioning being more acceptable or was it peer pressure like the researcher wasn't making any claims about that huh
2: yeah and And i think
0: yeah i i wouldn't either i I have no idea
2: i think it's undoubtable that group dynamics will have something to do with your uh personality like it's just nature and nurture so Mm -hmm. it'll have something to do with it but it, uh, definitely the contentious question would be like to what extent does it affect you or if you are a certain way can it change you and i know that like, like like the contention would be against like do people feel more welcomed to express their true identity or is it that they're being encouraged to change their current identity to something else
4: mm-hmm. that's a good yeah, question
2: I- <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> And there's so many other uh, situations in which that question comes up, like not just with gender uh, transitioning, I suppose, but like just any sort of like unusual activity that we would somehow classify into a disorder, especially personality disorders. Mm-hmm. Like one aspect of being um, uh, borderline is being promiscuous, <laughs> so. If you're an overly promiscuous person because all of your friends are, then is that going to make you have a personality disorder, something like that? Or is it just that you were the, you were borderline the whole time, and then this just made it feel like it was okay to be that way? Yeah. Wait, are
0: personality disorders, do they get passed
2: around? Uh, no. well that's not what I meant by pariscus, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean that they were, like, transmitting them to each other in that way, but... I, I
0: transmitting what?
2: <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I, I just meant, like, if your peer group encourages that activity.
0: Wait, so you're playing people would become more, uh, bipolar or whatever it was, Borderline. if they engage in some activities?
2: Well, I'm saying, like, the question they would, would be... the categories more. Huh?
0: But uh, the category is more than... I mean, it has something to do with personality, right? Not...
2: Well, there uh, are many different things that would qualify you to be diagnosed with that disorder. But that was that one of them.
0: Okay, well, I mean... If sleeping around gets you classified, that doesn't seem like a very good category. No, that's.
1: You know, you'd have to have a number of different symptoms. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Specifically, like the most telling sign is uh, idealizing and then devaluing people. Uh, that's sort of considered the classic part of borderline personality disorder. And then there'd be other facets like self harm is uh, like the rates are pretty insane um so those would certainly be more what they're looking for and there definitely is an attempt to not just pull up social differences within psychiatry so for instance they'll talk about if somebody's being diagnosed with hallucinations presumably for schizophrenia uh they try to make sure that none of the content is associated with something that's socially normalized. So like if your social society normally has gods come and visit people in their sleep or <laughs> during mm-hmm. some sort of sudden moment of revelation, and somebody says that they' had a God visit them then that would not meet the category for schizophrenia (laughs)
0: Hmm. yeah when is christianity going to become a mental disorder
2: (laughs) pretty soon i think yeah
0: when is (laughs) actually i won't say that
3: (laughs) oh yeah because if somebody is saying like oh i was visited by a prophet you know like you know, so a long time ago, people are like, oh, yes, like, obviously that person's telling the truth. But it's like, if somebody came up to you now and was like, you know, somebody told me to establish a religion, <laughs> like, I have this vision, we'd be like, you know, you're having hallucinations like that. You should get checked out for that. So, <laughs>
2: yeah, I mean, some people do get away with it, but <laughs> I know that actually I sent this to you recently um, in China recently. It's been exposed that they're sending Muslims to basically re-education camps because they think of their religious belief as being an extreme mental disorder. Mm-hmm. So, Do they actually think there, that, though? or? Well, okay. Th- I don't, they, I don't they, they think they, th- they think
0: that, right? It's just they their excuse.
2: They officially deny that it has anything to do with being Muslim, but I think that that is their... That is their explanation to the people that are enforcing that rule.
0: Yeah, it's it's more of a political phenomenon than a uh, something in psych psychology, right?
1: Well, Th- that's certainly why there's a heavy emphasis on trying to root all of psychiatry within biology, which, as we've been talking about, hasn't really been done successfully. But there certainly are a lot of, like, if you do brain scans, there are lots of physical correlates for different disorders, like, all of the different disorders, and so even things like personality disorders just bringing up as being more problematic still normally are associated with pretty significant differences in brain functioning. Hmm.
2: Yeah, that is definitely good to point out. Has brain function, I guess, hmm. that's hard to ask because we don't really have a record of it. I'd be curious to see if like people's normal brain functioning has changed over time.
0: Our IQ has gone up a lot. Mm
2: -hmm. That's true. I
0: don't know, apparently it doesn't have anything much to do with uh actual intelligence. I don't know. I haven't looked into that too much.
3: Yeah, I think it was just something about being presented with more information and just retaining more information or something like that. But yeah, that, they were CI yeah, I think it it didn't have anything to actually do with like cognitive abilities.
1: Yeah. It, I'm more thinking in terms of depression and pretty much every other mental illness is associated with uh I forget the difference, white versus gray matter. Mm-hmm. Um, it's essentially with less active uh, activity in the neurons.
4: Yeah.
1: And specifically, like, there are very particular regions, like the hippocampus, where if you take the brain of somebody who's depressed, they have a lot less, fewer connections in mm-hmm. that region. Uh, yeah. And then that's associated with cognitive deficits as well. So yeah. they'll be worse on an IQ test than they were before becoming depressed.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm.
1: So those are, that's very much on the biology side of things and trying to bridge this gap between what were essentially classifications built for psychotherapy and slowly moving them over into being fully medical still raising the question of then, well, obviously our brain activity uh, will be (laughs) correlated with how we feel, Mm -hmm. but at what level do we say that just physically there's a problem?
3: Yeah. And I think that's just an issue that will always exist. I just, I think it's... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm very pessimistic. I just... I don't think that we're ever going to get to a point where we can really truly understand how all these... How all the different, like, physical features that you see in the brain of somebody who's, you know, depressed or, like, has some other mental illness, how that actually impacts, like, their, like... What their actual symptoms are of the illness.
2: Mm-hmm. There definitely is... Uh, that relates pretty much directly to the question about, like, um, I guess, specifically... It would relate to consciousness but just in general terms um, emergence like and this is more of a philosophical problem but like there might be traits about our personalities or our conscious actions that just aren't reducible to um actions in the brain like mm-hmm. there are actions in the brain that cause them but you would never be able to give an explanation of that thing in terms of actions of the brain
3: yeah exactly
2: it could be the case I'm I'm pretty sure it is.
3: <laughs> I mean, there is probably some... I mean, there has to be some way that, like, all of these things are giving rise to, like, these higher level of processes of, like, consciousness and thought and everything. But, yeah. <laughs> it's ironic because the brain is, like, too stupid to ever actually understand itself.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of the
3: great mysteries of
4: life.
2: It might, I mean hypothetically if you did perfectly understand your own brain then you might be pretty depressed (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) because nothing would be mysterious anymore you'd know exactly how everything happened that you did
4: yeah
0: i don't know but even if we knew all the physical facts i I don't think we would um have a good explanation of like how the mind works I, i think there is a place for A higher level explanation that we find in like psychoanalysis and Mm -hmm. uh, in psychology. Mm
1: -hmm. Right, right. I kind of disagree with that. Uh, I think once pharmacology gets a lot better and (laughs) once neurology gets a lot better, certainly far beyond we could ever get now, um, most of those things I guess all the really big, meaningful, like, why you choose to do X, or why you have certain attitudes, can be, even if it's not a complete explanation, it can be predicted and manipulated using physical techniques.
2: Right, right.
0: I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I think still so when you're, like, explaining the reason why someone is doing something, you'd have to talk. Basically metaphorically, I, I don't see how you could give a physical explanation that makes sense to any human.
3: I totally I, I agree with what John's saying. I think eventually like I think we could isolate different like regions of the brain and see like, okay, like your neurons are activating in this way, these pathways are activated, and that you know makes you feel sad, for example. But it's still that sensation of being sad that we consciously experience that I don't think you'll ever be able to really explain fully to somebody. Like that's something that you just can't explain. It's just an experience that we all have.
0: Okay, yeah, yeah I, I agree. I, I think right. I disagree. Mm-hmm. Um, with but still, like, let's say, like, someone uh, walks out the door, and you want to give a physical explanation of that. Like, how would you do that? If I um psychologically i would say um that person is maybe going to work and mm-hmm. they're motivated to that because um they find meaning in uh providing for the family blah 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 or and you could uh basically go uh give like a psychological explanation like that um maybe link it to meaning or whatever but mm. I, it using science, I don't see how you could arrive at any coherent explanation that it comes anywhere near
2: um, making
0: that kind of sense.
2: Do you have thoughts on well, that? I think of, like, there's the level of psychology which is what you're explaining at, but I think that if you want to go a level down, you don't have to go all the way down to just atoms and molecules and cells like you you could talk about it in terms of neurons and you could talk about them in terms of uh, parts of the brain right and you could it would it's still a higher level than basic atomic physical facts but it's not quite as metaphorical as your explanation mm-hmm.
0: well i think you would you you would need each level uh, you would al- you would still need a higher level explanation as well um, t- to have an explanation or to tell a story that makes sense to people and then, well, I mean you need the entire spectrum really and we shouldn't just focus on one one kind of explanation which is I, I think basically what um, what psychology has experim- experimented with for a few decades which is um, going all in on the neuroscientific explanations hmm
3: hmm I mean, yeah, and I He's, think it's... It's easier to yeah.
0: get funding with the uh, <laughs> neuroscientific uh, lingo and stuff.
3: Yeah, because it sounds more sciencey in the end, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so. a lot of the other fields just really don't respect psychology for that reason. I, and I think that's why, even here at Reed, it really disappoints me. Um, so much <laughs> of everything is just so focused on, like, let's understand how these neural pathways work. And yes, that's totally important and valid, but you're completely ignoring, like, the more like meta you know like meta like ways of thinking about stuff
2: are you talking about that in context of like your read classes in psychology
3: yeah I guess so well but I, I yeah I think as a field to psychology is kind of like I think the general public tends to think of psychology as um, like Freudian psychoanalysis which <laughs> isn't really a thing anymore um, yeah but it's in the actual field for the most part it's you're in a lab you know you're manipulating a rat's brain like you're like lesioning a section of it to observe the effects or um you know you're like putting people in like a social situation where you're like observing their behavior and everything like that but um yeah i think there's something we said about like incorporating more philosophy back into psychology
4: hmm
2: that's funny dichotomy, that yeah, <laughs> people see it from the outside one way, that's too extreme, and then from the inside it's the other way too extreme,
3: yeah, at least I think so i don't know though,
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah,, and recently, there have been arguments that like Freud and psychoanalysis anticipated a lot of the recent findings of neuroscience, um, especially in like kind of the idea that there are different uh, kind of units or personalities within each mind and then they kind of uh, basically work against each other to kind of come up with uh, what we do and what Mm -hmm. we think
1: Yeah, Yeah. I mean I Mm -hmm. think that's completely supported, not the Freudian conception of it, where there's these three different parts or five depending on (laughs) what you're counting Uh, definitely there are different modules though and that comes out in neurology
0: so i think uh, on that point i think obviously it's not like you can't say it's just three or it's just five but i think it's very useful to pick some number of like different units or um yeah in this example um it's useful to pick some kind of some uh specific number of units and i think this is where like a more metaphorical explanation comes into play where you can't just have like a bunch of physical facts and then have that explain everything. You actually need some kind of story on top of that.
3: Definitely, yeah.
0: So that, that was my argument.
1: Although, is that just a result of the infancy of the field or some sort of high-level philosophical statement about understanding the mind? Because I could easily imagine that Sure, it might be at this point better to focus on those sorts of understandings, but why not instead base our module on uh, this region of the amygdala that is associated with stress? And then, Mm -hmm. which is the way neuroscience kind of talks now. Like, why not focus on the actual specific brain structures that we observe.
0: I think if the evidence shows that there are like a discrete number of structures, then we can just go with those. But I think usually you'll have a much murkier set of data where y- you could have like an basically an infinite number of, of structures or you could just have like two. I- like the way you explain it would just... Um, you could choose how to explain it, and the way you would choose which one to use would be which one's more useful, usually. But, of course, if if the data shows that one ki- one particular story is the best one, then we should go with that one, because that will be the most useful one.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely agree on pragmatic grounds. It's just the ultimate idea that is we could come up with a complete theory of psychology that's <laughs> all related to neurofunctioning.
0: And you think we can?
1: I don't think we can right now. Uh, you'd have to limit yourself entirely to describing behavior as opposed to describing people's actions. Um, but you think
0: we can eventually? Yes. Yeah.
2: It was my impression that neuroscience and psychology were separate in some way. But am I is that accurate, or are they really just like neuroscience as a subfield of psychology?
3: And they have different, they're different emphases placed on both of them. I think that's the main thing. But you, I. I don't think you can truly have one without the other. You can, but you're gonna be missing out on a lot of information that the other field can add to it.
0: Hmm. Yeah, neuroscience is uh, partly like biology and, and chemistry and computer science and cognitive science and all that, right? It's more interdisciplinary than uh, psychology.
3: Yeah, but it's interesting because psychology definitely is still based in Like, I've taken so many psychology classes here, which are just considered psychology classes, and still you see people doing things like using fMRIs to study certain things um, to try to, like, more precisely understand how, you know, just like some certain system works in relation to some behavior, some psychologically, you know, valid-based behavior. Um, So I don't, it is, it's just, like, totally murky. I, I don't, it's hard, I think, also to kind of draw the line between those two fields,
0: Yeah, is psychology just going to be all neuroscience?
3: I mean, I hope not. (laughs) But yeah.
0: Yeah, Yeah, that sounds like the drift of the field um, after uh, in the the past 50 or 100 years.
3: Yeah.
2: Sure, I'll be back in a sec. I need to get some water.
3: I'll be right back too. Okay. (laughs) We're too boring for them.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm back.
3: Hey. Okay, Yuda just left too, so we're waiting for (laughs) him.
2: So, uh, how was your guys' years started off so far?
3: Pretty good. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, all right.
3: Mm-hmm. Surprisingly, not too stressed out right now.
0: Uh,
2: but I'm
3: sure next week it'll be worse. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's nice to have the three day weekend.
3: Oh, okay, yeah, totally. Catch up on all the work I've been procrastinating on.
2: Hmm. Yeah, I'm looking forward
1: to it cooling off a little bit. Mhm. Yeah. Totally. Before then, it'll just be rained forever. <laughs> oh yeah.
3: gosh. I need to get one of those like, um, what are they called? Like the UV lamps or the the things that like assimilate st- sunlight.
1: Oh. <laughs> oh <yeah.
3: laughs> I need one of those so bad. I just I go crazy with like not seeing the sun.
1: I think I actually have one. Oh, I'll do you? It.
3: Oh, yes, that would be incredible because yeah. they're like a hundred dollars
4: each. <laughs>
2: I guess that you must miss the sun from <coughs> Palakulto. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, definitely. Is that you, Yuta? Yep. Oh, okay, cool. So...
0: Okay, can I uh, go back to one... Are you going to say something?
2: Oh, no, yeah, go, go ahead.
0: Okay. Uh... I thought it, I thought it was interesting um the idea that depressed people are more in tune to re- reality um but it it seems to me like um the most depressed people uh have an element where they aren't seeing reality well and then yeah. but I think there's also the opposite and where there are very naive people that aren't depressed at all um Mm-hmm. and don't have a very accurate view of reality. I
3: kind of, Yeah, sorry. Mm-hmm. Sorry, yeah. go
0: on. Oh, that that's all really.
3: Okay. Yeah. Um I was just going to say I kind I, I think that's kind of reflects the fact that I guess it's not a fact, but it's my strong view, my strong opinion that mental illness really does lie on a spectrum. Um you know, you can you know, you can set up whatever diagnostic criteria you want. And at a certain point, when somebody checks off enough symptoms and they have enough severity of the symptoms, yes, like very clearly, you can say that they have this disorder. But for example, if somebody, if you need four out of five, um, if you have to meet four out of five different symptoms for having depression and you have three out of the five, you know, it's, but you have those very severely, you know, so technically you're not depressed, you're not able to be diagnosed with depression, but you know, so it's just—it's kind of like, where is the cutoff? Like, where do you want to define normal functioning? Where do you want to define, you know, like somebody who actually has like a severe mental illness? Where do you want to define normal? Um, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, f- for me, it would be um, the point where it, w- it would do the most good to the people diagnosed. Because, uh, I mean, I think it should be um, based in the clinical aspect, ultimately, and not, not the scientific, yeah, uh, part.
2: What do you mean by yeah. that? Well, like yeah, so the clinician's we could opinion is more important.
0: Well, you know, we could like as scientists could like um, try to come up with better categories of depression, and which I think we just agreed. It's, you can't ultimately come up with a perfect definition. So I think uh, rather than just come up with uh, scientific categories, we should, yeah, we should look at people that are depressed and then see if we diagnose people that are this depressed, um, will it actually help them um, if we diagnose Mm -hmm. them or will um, the diagnosis actually make their lives
2: worse? Right, you know, relating to that, I know that this this is a little bit tangential, but it's kind of interesting, looking at statistics for people that are autistic, um (coughs) if you are a diagnosed autistic, then you actually have a much worse expected outcome uh, in Mm -hmm. your life than someone who's autistic but is not diagnosed.
0: And that's that's on average, though. I think for the most severe people, it would be much better to be uh, diagnosed. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the li- yeah the line should be based on, uh, yeah, based on uh, clinical psychology.
3: Yeah. No, that's definitely yeah. I get, yeah,
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I get what you're saying, but I think the problem isn't as much in, uh, in that the scientific definitions as much. I think it's more in the idea of what a mental illness is. Like, I think that there should be a delineation between someone who's mentally ill enough to require, um, some external treatment, whether they want to have that treatment or not, and between someone who is just having a hard day or something like that. Like, I think there should be some scientific basis to that and you shouldn't just be able to have some clinician come up to you and be like, okay, you're depressed, you need to go to the hospital now.
3: Yeah.
0: Uh, Well, I mean my, when I said like clinicians should decide if people are ill, I, I mean that had nothing to do with forcing people to go somewhere or forcing people to be diagnosed.
2: Well, in some cases it can. So you're right, that's not not what always happens, but it could.
3: (coughs) I think another kind of more, um, something that might happen more often is, for example, if you tell somebody, okay, you have, you know, just for example, generalized anxiety disorder, is that person now because they have that disorder going to tend to notice the fact that they're anxious more? And <laughs> that's going to cause them to be more anxious in response to future situations? And it's, is it just going to snowball and make it worse? I think that's one of the dangerous things about diagnosing people. I, I, and I agree, though, on average, like, I think it probably is better to give somebody a diagnosis, but, like, do you really, like, you know, if you just have, like, mild, like, A mild case of generalized anxiety disorder like do you really need to know about that like or is it better for you to just think oh I'm just a kind of an anxious person
0: yeah uh, I need to overcome this on my own like there was a study that came out of Harvard recently where um, it was basically about content warnings on syllabi (laughs) and it showed that people that believe that they were vulnerable to um, I guess being, um, I don't know, offended or something like that, were more likely to experience adverse effects huh. if they saw, yeah,
2: this yeah. kind of content.
0: Well, that's interesting.
2: Um, yeah, it's definitely really counterintuitive, but make, it does make sense.
3: Yeah,
2: because there's. G- sorry, go on. Go ahead. No, go
0: ahead.
3: I, I was just gonna say, in, um, in psychology and social psychology, there's this phenomenon, uh, basically just called like the self-fulfilling prop uh, prophecy, and it's basically where um, oh sorry, not the self-fulfilling prophecy. Uh, what is it? What is, it? What, is it? what is it? The stereotype effect is that I don't know. Like um, so, basically, just if you remind someone of a certain characteristic about themselves, then that person is going to tend to they're going to like fulfill that stereotype. So one of the classical Studies that they do that they do is um, if you put women and men in a room of like equal cognitive abilities, um, and you just you ask each gender to write down what their gender is before they take the test or on the test, the women do significantly worse on that exam than the men do uh, compared to situations this exact same identical situations where you don't ask either of them to put their genders down on the mm-hmm. exam beforehand.
0: Mm-hmm. I there's there's that. one thing though those weren't reproducible
3: oh really I think. wow yeah, I, think th- I had no idea
0: <laughs> yeah th- those are great like the most famous one like the other famous one one is with gender the other was with like uh black students on like math exams
3: wow so those actually aren't those weren't reproducible
0: yeah i'm uh yeah it's called the stereotype threat um, yeah, yeah, that's
3: three. interesting, yeah. that's scary, because they totally were teaching us that, <laughs> like, <laughs> last year, I read, <laughs> I will ask for I'll ask my I, professor. I,
0: or, I think, or it may just be there's more skepticism now, Yeah. And now there's, like, a debate about it.
3: No, I, I totally, um, I believe you, I, I'm not doubting you, that's just really fascinating, that there's still, you know, like, these professors are saying, like, oh, yeah, like, this is a classical example, and it's not. like that's
0: awful well yeah it was yeah a classic example i think maybe what i read was like there's more skepticism i don't know but i'll have to look into it Mm -hmm. oh
3: that's cool there's
0: at least some people
2: arguing that it's not replicable
3: interesting
2: yeah that's definitely something to look at i i found some link um not sure if it's exactly that but Mm. yeah when i
0: remember when i was when i uh heard about the the studies that argued against it I, I was pretty convinced that um the stereotype threat wasn't really a thing so but i i mean i i have a yeah i'm not the i don't know that much no
3: i'm not like doubting you or anything. i don't know that much about it either i just I've been taught no, about right. so many times that's why mm-hmm. it's just like interesting.
0: Oh, yeah, it's definitely <laughs> not as as solid wow. um, as people thought, but that's like the exact kind of threat that uh we sh- we should be suspicious of because it's mm-hmm. like uh, it if it's such a great uh narrative about uh how we should not uh graduate stereotypes
3: yeah.
0: about gender or race. Yeah, but the problem is, yeah, seems a lot more harder to solve. Definitely the problem of like uh, gaps in test scores.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, but I suppose that the the reproducibility issue in psychology is a whole nother thing to talk about. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Oh, that's <laughs> that's like that's so insane. Yeah, <laughs> not just psychology, but <laughs> true. True. I think so- psychology's uh, uh, like forty percent reproducibility.
3: Yeah, it's pretty bad.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
3: um. Yeah. They recently found also that the people who conducted the Stanford Prison Experiment, um, they lied about basically <laughs> the entire experiment. So oh, yeah. that's totally not okay. They basically prompted the prison guards what to say and how to act so that totally invalidates all of it
0: that's like the most classic right it's really
3: sad
2: i heard about that i was so surprised
3: right it's crazy
2: yeah relating to that um issue about the self-fulfilling prophecy i actually had an interesting experience of that where in high school Um, I had problems that prompted my doctor to be concerned about me having something like a eating disorder, like Mm -hmm. anorexia, and then just prompting me about it made me feel like, ah, I don't really, I don't have that, I don't need anyone to, like, deal with me, and it just got worse and worse to the point that they had to force me to go to a mental hospital, and, like, I can just imagine that if they hadn't treated it so seriously at the beginning, I think that if my kind of rebellious personality wouldn't have made me had as much of a problem, mm-hmm. and I can imagine that being the case for other people too.
4: Yeah.
0: Hmm, that's that's funny, that that seems like it would be the opposite of, of what most people would <laughs> go to, right?
2: Well, I mean, I don't have like a study to prove anything about it, <laughs> but I can imagine it being the case.
0: Well, for some people, yeah.
2: Right. Yeah.
0: My and then, and then others would be like, would really buy into the explanation and, uh, f- find that it explains their entire life. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't know how common that is, but
0: I, I mean, people even create like identity groups around mental illness.
2: Do they? Yeah, I
0: yeah, yeah. read. It's like a. It's like a thing. Like Nero atypical people make oh, fun yeah. of neurotypical people. Oh,
3: they make fun of them?
0: Yeah, <laughs>
2: like, like it's a real
0: like it's a real distinction. There's a rivalry
2: Wait.
3: going on.
2: Wait, what? I never heard of this. This is crazy. <laughs> yeah,
0: there's like there's like memes about uh, neurotypicals.
2: Oh.
0: And mm. Yeah, there's a Facebook group.
1: Normies. I mean, I just think this is like a very Tumblr-influenced <laughs> thing. It's <laughs> probably very idiosyncratic.
0: Yeah, well, Reed is extremely idiosyncratic.
2: True. I guess that's why we came here, right? (laughs) (coughs) I guess another, um, about mental illness, uh, would be the question about therapies. And, of course, we already talked about um, kind of drug therapy where you prescribe something. But in terms of cognitive therapy, and I'm sure I've heard, like, so many names for different kinds, but I honestly don't really know much about them. Like, are they effective? Or Mm -hmm. are they just, like, you talk to someone and then sometimes you feel better afterward for an unrelated reason?
3: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I I think the main... I don't know all the details but basically the main gist of um, all the therapies is that different ones work better for different conditions and obviously for different people. Mm -hmm. I think cognitive behavioral therapy is the main one that people use now. And it basically the name kind of describes it. So you're working at identifying kind of maladaptive thinking patterns that you might have in your head and how that translates into how you act and how you respond to those thoughts. So the therapy's aim is to kind of disrupt the maladaptive thinking patterns into, you know, so like, for example, if you think, I don't even know, I don't have a good example. Like maybe you think like, Oh, like I'm really sad right now, and you like go and eat some food, like some junk food, because you, you think it'll make you feel better because you're sad, and then you feel even worse about yourself for eating that junk food. The therapy might try to either stop you, so that it might try to start at the thought and go, um, okay, like let's give ourselves, let, let's like tell ourselves something positive in place of this negative thought, or the response might be the behavior, through the behavioral aspect of it to be like, okay, let's go eat some healthy food right now instead. A way to cope with it that's a horrible example but <laughs> <laughs> that's the gist of it
2: okay yeah
0: i think it also uses it also exposes people to um things they're afraid of right like Expo anxiety therapy,
2: yeah
0: yeah yeah
3: exposure therapy um it's similar i think it's a little bit different i don't know well, like, how I, like i think
0: it. c i think cbt does things like that
1: yeah what is that Cognitive behavioral therapy. Oh, uh, Um, okay. And I personally have a bias that I think it's effective for certain things, Mm -hmm. um, but lacks a sort of wider efficacy. Um, At least from the studies, it seems like it's about as effective as a standard course of antidepressants um just kind of interesting that they both work about the same
3: but i know it's also interesting that if you combine both of them that's when you have the highest success rates
1: for
3: completely recovering from depression so
2: so that would suggest maybe that therapy and drugs help you in different ways they're not like doing the same thing for you
0: or you get a double placebo (laughs) (laughs)
2: yeah someone really cares about you so you must be doing better oh
3: yeah but i feel like there's so much to be i like i know that's like funny but i feel like there is so much to be said about just like having somebody you can talk to about your problems and you know feeling more comfort in that and understanding and that totally varies depending on the mental illness obviously like the extent to which that'll help but i think that's something that's just so so underappreciated and so like just as a crisis counselor too it's just like I don't, I, you know, I, I'm not face-to-face with any of these people, but, um, you know, like, a lot of them are like, thank you, I feel so much better now just after talking, so I think that's something that is so just undervalued and just un- underappreciated, just having someone to, like, lean on and talk to. Hmm.
0: Yeah, it, it seems like it, but it, it's really hard because it's it's so expensive, especially oh, yeah. compared <laughs> to, like, compared to, like, prescribing an antidepressant. like, it's totally yeah
2: totally friends aren't
0: too bad
1: (laughs) (laughs) there's also the other world sort of what I'm more familiar with of more exotic pharmacological treatments uh, which I think have a much higher uh, success rate the main issue being they're pretty much all dangerous (laughs)
3: Wait, when you say exotic, can you give an example of Um, something? Well, like the classic
1: would be monoamine oxidase inhibitors. uh, Okay. Which are from the 50s. Okay. And work very well, uh, will make you very happy, and can also give you a stroke.
3: Oh, that's not good. (laughs) If you
1: uh, (laughs) eat the wrong things. Gotcha. Or things like opioids or stimulants. Um or like the current research in ketamine. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, just assuming that I think that the real high-level drugs that essentially really alter your perceptions and uh, emotions are going to be much more effective than just slightly raising your serotonin.
4: Mm-hmm. Hmm.
1: So
2: is it that that success rate is factoring in the unsuccessful
1: usages? (laughs) Uh, What do you mean by unsuccessful ones?
2: Like, if you're looking at the success of that other one that you mentioned, then is it including as non-successful
1: the people that ended up having a stroke? (laughs) Oh, the people who died? Yeah. Uh, Presumably, yes. It, I think the difference is that it's about like a one in a hundred thousand uh, in a yearly basis of the people who take this medication will die. Uh, and of depressed people, a much greater percentage of them would die by suicide in a year.
2: Okay. I so see.
1: the argument is well, fewer people will die. If you use this really powerful drug,
2: mm-hmm.
0: I have uh, another topic we didn't talk about. But um, what about Adderall and the overprescription of that? That seems pretty bad.
2: Oh yeah, that's a uh, that's prescribed for ADHD, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, or ADD. Yeah,
2: I've heard about people saying like that if you're you're prescribing people with ADD or ADHD because they're unable to sit still and pay attention in class, then the problem really isn't that they have a def- uh, attention deficit disorder, mm-hmm. but that the classroom just isn't like the best place for them to be learning. Yeah. Or yeah. that's an argument I've heard, and uh, I don't know if that's right or not. But
3: and I think it kind of gets back to the whole: w- at what point do you want to say that somebody has a mental illness? You know, at what point do you want to say somebody has ADHD versus you know they just have a hard time paying attention because this isn't the right place for them? You know?
1: Yeah. I don't know yeah. the answer. I mean, it- <laughs> I mean, does it matter though? If, me? if they're lives are functionally better with the Adderall than is well, the Well I mean it's
0: it's it's extremely
1: toxic for one. Um, it's a little bit like use Ritalin instead which is non-toxic.
3: I mean my only personal experience with it was um, a guy I used to date he I think he originally started on Adderall he developed some sort of tolerance or some bad side effects or something from it. So he had to switch to Ritalin, and he basically got to, like, the highest possible dose that they would give to him. And it was just bad because, like, he'd run out of it one day because he just wasn't able to get back to the pharmacy. You know, he just had the worst withdrawal symptoms from it. Like, he just felt awful and couldn't function. Um, He was, like, this all is, like, an individual case, obviously. This isn't representative of the whole uh, problem, But, um, you know, you just get, like, very, like, irritated and, like, aggressive and, like, wouldn't be able to function normally without it. So I think mm-hmm. that's kind of the danger of overprescribing the medication. It's because you mm-hmm. have a lot of cases like that.
0: Yeah, I, w- I wonder if, uh, I wonder what the long-term effects are. That too, if, yeah. Yeah.
1: So, might be an increased risk to Parkinson's. Uh, I think that's really the only big name effect.
0: Hmm. But really? You don't think, but you don't think taking, uh, something like Ritalin for a decade would have some kind of effect on your psychology?
1: Oh, I mean, obviously it would have some sort of effect. It's just, it's not a really clear, strong effect, cause we'd know about it by now if we did.
3: But how how long is like like have they actually done studies with individuals who have been taking Ritalin or Adderall, you know, for like thirty plus, forty plus years? Like is there any evidence on that? I genuinely don't know. So I'm just wondering. Because that's I think the main issue is if you have more and more people being prescribed now, what are the long term effects going to be, you know,
1: when they're in their fifties or sixties? Yeah. I mean we don't really know for any medication. Yeah. Not even Psychological ones, like they.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's why I think it's so risky, and why it's why I think people should be a little bit more skeptical of using them in general. I don't know.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it it would make sense to me that like a lot of children can't sit still in a classroom for like seven hours a day. I mean. Yeah, I, I mean, even, like, I don't think anyone, I think some people can hide not pay, paying attention. Like, I remember not paying attention, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, probably in most of my classes, most of the time. But I I, I could, it, like, I, it wasn't so bad that it was a mental disorder problem.
4: Yeah.
0: Like, I, I mean, it, historically, it seems really weird for humans to, <laughs> humans to be doing something like this. Totally. I, it m- makes total sense to me. Yeah, the first school I went to, I, I went to a really weird school, like, the first four years, and we, basically, we didn't do a lot of, like, classroom stuff. Like, we were out in the forest a lot, and we learned to read later than other children. Mm-hmm. But uh, we'd, like, catch up um, by, like, the third grade. Um, yeah, and then I, th- I think someone w- who was ADHD there... who had ADHD wouldn't have any problem in that school environment.
3: Yeah, that makes sense.
2: Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of work now on kinds of alternative education, but I don't know if there's any sort of standardized uh, results that have sprung from that. But it does seem extremely oppressive to keep kids in classes sitting there for hours on end when like mm-hmm. at no point in human history have we ever done anything like that. I?
3: Even if not for the mental, you know, issues with it, even just the <laughs> physical ones, it's not good to be sitting for extended periods of time. Like, that's why we have so many issues, like health issues in this country, you know? People yeah. don't want to move. People don't want to be active.
2: Yeah. Work. Uh,
0: h- hen- sorry, go ahead. No, you, you go. Th- I, I this is random. Okay. Well, I, I was just gonna say we're coming up on our time, so so I was wondering if you had um, plans for the ending.
2: Oh yeah. So yeah, I mean, I actually didn't. <laughs> 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 I forgot to think of. An-
0: any last topics you wanted to discuss?
2: Yeah, is there anything else relating to mental illness um, or mental illness in the U.S. even that you guys would like to talk about?
3: I'm okay. Yeah, I can't no think of Yeah, other anyone.
1: closing <laughs> comments. Huh? And no other closing comments. Okay. Well, thank
2: you guys so much for coming on. And yeah, totally. Thank you. Yeah, this it was a was fun cool. conversation.
3: <laughs> so do you guys well, uh, edit this and then upload it somewhere I have no idea how this works
0: uh, we, pr- we probably won't edit it okay so
3: um, I mean that's fine I'm just wondering I have no idea <laughs> yeah and
0: yeah I don't I don't know what we'll do about uploading we can definitely send it to you guys I don't know if we'll upload it publicly
3: okay yeah that would be cool
2: and full disclosure like if we if we did end up putting it up somewhere we would definitely ask you guys permission first okay cool, cool.
3: that all sounds good yeah, I was just wondering, I I don't know. I thought it was cool when you got when you'd have messaged me and told me about this, but I was like Like what is it actually? <laughs> so, but yeah, no, this was fun. It was cool.
2: Awesome. Yeah, we're still kinda figuring out exactly how we want to do these kinds of things. But mm-hmm. I think this went really well. And we'll definitely let you know like if we wanna uh if you guys wanna come on again. We'd be really yeah. happy to have you.
3: That would be cool, totally, yeah.
0: Yeah, let's do yeah, it again. Uh,
2: great, Yuta. do you have the outro music? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I don't, I can't do it on this one. Oh, dang it. <laughs>
2: well, anyway, thanks again, guys.
3: Yeah, it was nice talking to you guys.
0: Yeah, yeah nice talking to you guys.
2: See bye you. Bye.
4: See you around. See ya. Yeah.